Hi, my name is Minda Hartz, and I'm your host of Secure the Seat, your weekly podcast that helps women of color secure their seat at the table. It's not about getting in there and being the only one. It's about using our influence to bring other women of color along with you. And if you happen to work with a lot of women of color, lucky you, uh, but think about who is missing and make sure that you are a success partner or some might call it an ally so that you can make sure that you are doing the right things by other groups that are underrepresented as well. And this week I am recording live from Austin, Texas. I spent the last four days at South by Southwest, which is a big uh, interactive conference in Austin, Texas that's held annually. And last year was my first year as a speaker. And then I was able to return this year. And it's been such a great time. I am very much exhausted. My age is definitely um, showing up in every form of my body uh, this week. <laughs> and uh, I've had a really great time. I had the pleasure of sharing the stage with three great women um, a friend Karen and uh, and Avis, and we talked about the empathy gap, interracial sisterhood, and how we bridge that gap between white women and women of color. And we did an official South by Southwest event on that, and then we did some uh, unofficial things for the city of Austin. And um, I'm going to tell you, I, there was so much that came out of it over the last couple of days, and I'm still processing, but. At the end of the day, I'm very much optimistic about many white women wanting to learn and get educated on that. And, you know, previously last week, I was had the opportunity to sit on the panel with some really dynamic uh, black women and talk about inclusion in the workplace and what that looks like for us. And I just have to remind all of us that, yes, it's okay to educate if that's what you feel you want to do. And over the last, uh, several days, I've heard this, you know, back and forth of women of color not feeling like they should be the one to educate, and then white women wanting to be educated, and whose burden is that? Who should be doing the heavy lifting? And so I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Um, as far as I'm concerned, I, I can't speak for all women of color. I can't speak for all black women, but I can speak for myself. And uh, I don't mind if folks come and ask from a very willing and vulnerable and intentional space of wanting to know what resources they can read or ways that they can improve their growth and, and education in terms of what it's like for women of color to, to be in this world and show up sometimes as the only one and in isolation. You know, I'm very much okay with that. What I'm not okay with is when I am educating you, then you're not listening and you're not taking those tools and learning from there, going, you know, I can't be the professor and give you the homework. You have to be willing to do some work yourself. And, you know, a lot of white women will ask me often, you know, I'm nervous to go to my black or brown friends and ask them. And I said, well, or, you know, go up to a, a black woman that I don't know and ask. And I said, it's just like any other relationship. You have to form a relationship first. You know, you can't always go to that black woman and just always ask her about black stuff. You know, obviously that's a one-sided situation and that doesn't feel authentic. I said, but when you get to know people and you're having real heartfelt, intentional conversations, then that's something that you do with any of your friends, you know? Um, so just, it's that human side uh, of things. You know, if you are uh, someone who is a computer programmer or you're designing websites and the only time I ever come to you is when I'm asking you for resources on how to build my website or how to design my website, 
eventually you're going to be like, the only time she's coming to me is for this. Like she's not getting to know me. It's only one sided. And so just like any other thing, um, you want it to feel like there's some value, right? If you give me some tips, you want me to actually implement those tips, right? And then say, hey, guess what? Here's where I am with this and um, and go from there. So for those uh, women that are listening that are not of color to secure the seat, I appreciate those who do listen and leave ratings or reviews. It's just like that. And so I hope that you are listening to podcasts like mine and others because this is how you learn. This is how you educate. If you're not sure what women of color are dealing with or going through in the workplace or what are the conversations that we are having, you connect with places that we are, right? You find these ways. I mean, Google is free as of today, right? <laughs> so you can Google things. You can get on the whatever you like to listen to your favorite podcast on and you can do that. And so, which leads me right into today's episode, which is called Owning Your Growth. We all have to do that regardless of the topic, we all have to own our growth, and that is very important. And a couple of years back, I was attending Black Enterprise Women of Power Summit in Phoenix, Arizona. I think it was three years ago. And one of the women on the stage was Kristen Jones. And I was just so inspired by her answers and her vulnerability and um, how she spent her years working in the Obama administration alongside Mrs. Michelle Obama, our former first lady, which in my heart will forever be the first lady. <laughs> and uh, it's such a privilege to even be alive during during that administration. And so I was like, oh my gosh, she, you know, instantly Kristen became a friend in my head. And I just loved how she showed up and gave some really great nuggets. And uh, when I started Secure the Seed, I reached out to her to say, hey, I would love for you to be a guest. Um, and then we finally on season three, she's a busy woman and I'm appreciative of her time. And you're going to be so happy that you took the time to listen to Secure the Seat today because we're talking about owning our growth. Kristen is now the co-founder of Inside Projects. And she's done some phenomenal things with her co-founder there. You can go to insideprojects.co, not to be confused with com. So insideprojects.co. And I'll make sure that all of her information is in the show notes. And without further ado, let's own our growth. Kristen, welcome to Secure the Seat. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? I'm good. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you because I think it's so important to own our growth. And I know that our listeners are going to enjoy the conversation. So before we get started, tell them a little bit more about you. Sure. So I am Kristen Jones. I am partner and co-owner and co-founder of Inside Projects, which is a strategic branding firm based out of Los Angeles in Washington, D.C. I co-own my company with my business partner, Ariel Vavasour, and we work work with clients that are at the intersection and looking to kind of meld the two worlds of creative and social impact. Prior to owning my own company, I worked for seven and a half years beside former First Lady Michelle Obama. And so I started off as an intern, was brought on fairly quickly after that internship and did to be a research associate swiftly moved into a personal aid position with her and then ultimately ended the administration as her director of special projects, which was kind of a broad and complex role, but it essentially um, amounted to 
helping her build her strategy along with everybody else in the office around the work that she did as first lady. So her initiative, let's move, joining forces, reach higher, and let girls learn. So I was able to kind of, with my colleagues, drive creative and impact strategy for those four initiatives. Wow. And you're not even 40 yet. Look what you've done. <laughs> I am not. I'm not. Thank you so much. So That's awesome. Um, the one thing that I want to touch on is when you look back on your position uh, working at the White House, were there any soft skills that you would encourage women to invest in that helped you, su that helped you succeed in that role? Yeah. I mean, I think the one notion that I really walked away with from not just working with Mrs. Obama, but working with all my colleagues at the White House and across the Obama administration was the value of being a strong character in the workplace at all times, no matter what, period. Um, I think that strong character is what truly sustains one's talent and intellect. Every single person in our administration exhibited strong character from the bottom to the top. So from the interns to the chief of staff. And there was no room for a lack of good character in the administration. I think in the two years since my time at the White House, I've been able to kind of single-handedly see the ways in which good character can either strengthen or directly um, deprive one's talent or intellect. So I think definitely focusing on in the workplace, having good character and exhibiting it at all times. And then I think something else that I learned was that communication is key and when in doubt opt to over communicate um i'm not sure if you or anybody listening has ever seen the movie don't tell mom the babysitter said have you seen that oh yeah i remember I'm that one. baby okay <laughs> yes um it was my favorite movie growing up and so i don't know if you remember but in the movie the lead character gets this job as an assistant and her boss instructs her to say i'm right on top of it every time um, she is given a task and to just go get it done. And so when I started at the White House as Mrs. Obama's assistant, I mean, this movie was pretty much the only context that I had for being an assistant. So I would also be given, I don't know, upwards of like a hundred tasks a day, literally, that I would just respond to with got it or will do. And then I would go into this work silo and get it done, rarely providing updates, flags, or feedback to my coworkers to Mrs. Obama. And in my mind, this made me like a more dependable and like responsible employee and teammate. But ultimately working in this way didn't pan out too well for me because the White House, like most organizations, is really a team-based workplace. So my lack of communication led me to take on more work than I needed to. Um, sometimes it blocked me from insight from my colleagues around quicker and more efficient ways to complete tasks. It led some of my colleagues to do work that I had already completed, so on and so forth. So I pretty quickly learned that communication is key, especially in terms of progress and completion updates. Um, and I think when I walked in the White House, I surely was an under-communicator. And when I walked out of the White House, I walked out an over-communicator. And I'm super grateful for having achieved that growth. Sometimes my business partner will say, like, why are you telling me this? And it's just like, I'm just flagging for your situational awareness in case it's relevant. Obviously, working with a business partner is very different. It's like having a husband um, or being in a marriage. 
I'm not married, but that's what most of my business mentors <laughs> have likened it to. So it's definitely a um, it's definitely a relationship that I want to um, prioritize communication in. But I think even when before I was a business owner and I was an employee, status updates were incredibly helpful to not just the workflow of the people working around me, but also it led my bosses to feel like they could depend on me getting stuff done and communicating any necessary information back to them that they needed, um, which is what actually made me a dependable and responsible employee. Ooh, I love those nuggets. I mean, a character right on par and then also um, communication is really key to securing your seat. And then I love the the 80s reference to uh, Don't Tell Mom. Yeah. <laughs> I love that movie. I love it. <laughs> yeah, well, it put me in the same mindset when you said that I thought about um, adventures and babysitting, too, you know, so oh, I yes. that, <laughs> that was so good. I'm going to add that to my Netflix and chill list. Yes, yes. Uh, so that was great. I love your um, transparency and talking about how, you know, maybe what might have been a weakness that someone might have said, you were able to turn that into a superpower strength and it's mm -hmm. not an asset of yours. I think that's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> and I was also thinking about, you know, it's 2019, there's a lot of women out there in transition. So tell us what transition has been like since leaving the White House and some lessons learned along the way that you think might be helpful for those who or kind of feeling like stuck or not sure what the next step is? Mm, I think I would say my, my career transition after the White House, which is like every other unknown career transition, was just absolutely terrifying, honestly. When I walked out of the White House in January of 2017, I did not have a job, <laughs> which terrified not just me, but my parents and mostly everybody around me that cared about me. Um, we worked up until that last day, up until that last minute, trying to really um, build um, and help create the world as it should be. And so I didn't, I tried to carve out time for a job, um, for job searching, excuse me, for job searching, but things were a little hectic. And honestly, I did not know what I wanted to do. And I was trying to sort through the fact that I had been working beside somebody for seven and a half years and I was opting of my own free will to delve into the unknown. So it was incredibly terrifying. Um, I'm, I probably could have stayed with Mrs. Obama in some capacity, but I knew that in order to grow, I needed to kind of put myself out there and try working for a different entity or organization. Um, but I'm not going to lie, that terror of separation from the Obama administration made me look for my next position from a place of fear and panic. Um, essentially, the fear and panic of needing and not having a paycheck. And I think as a result, I ended up interviewing for jobs that were not a good fit. Ultimately, I landed a position locally in DC, but I transitioned out of that organization pretty quickly. I lasted eight months in the position. It just wasn't the best fit for me. And I 
think if I had launched my job search from a place that wasn't a place of fear, I probably would have realized during my interview process that the position and company I ended up, the position I ended up taking in the company I ended up working for actually wasn't the best place for me. So once I left that job, I found myself unemployed again for the second time in a 12-month period, which was even more terrifying. So I was really determined to do it all differently. And um, I wanted to take the time to think about the companies that I actually wanted to work for, the types of positions where my skill set would naturally be of value, um, the things that I actually wanted to be doing on the job, and identify places where I saw women flourishing in their workplace. Um, ultimately, two companies rose to the top of those lists, and while discussing potential full-time employment opportunities with both of those organizations, I decided to launch my agency with my business partner instead of taking on a full-time gig. And ultimately, I landed both of them as clients during our first year of business. So when I look back at my kind of the past two years post-White House, um, it's filled with like a lot of risk-taking, a lot of fearful nights, a lot of sleepless nights, but a lot of growth. And if I think about the thing that I was most scared about, it was leaving this kind of family I had built with my colleagues working in the Obama administration and leaving her side um, because it was what I knew best and it was where I was the most comfortable. But the ironic thing is that after two years of risk-taking and learning and growing, Mrs. Obama is now one of um, our clients at my agency that we service. And so we're able to work again in even more incredibly creative, dynamic, and influential ways, which is really cool. I love how you describe that because I think many of us, through the ebbs and flows in our careers, we wind up not knowing what the next steps are. And sometimes that can fuel us into our next thing. And I'm really excited to see where all that goes for, for you. And obviously the land, two big clients, uh, that's awesome. And I know that there's a lot of women listening who are sitting in corporate America or they work for a nonprofit, but they want to put their toe in to the entrepreneurship realm or they have a side hustle, something like that. What are some lessons learned that you found about starting your own business that you wish someone would have told you, you know, just some things for them to consider before they start their own businesses? I would say that a financial foundation is incredibly important. Even before you have money coming in, trying to figure out, at least brainstorm around when you do have revenue coming in, how much are you going to keep in the company? How much are you going to pay yourself? Um, Having that all kind of set up with an accountant, what's the difference between an accountant, a bookkeeper, a CFO, a financial advisor? Um, what can you learn just from a personal banker at your local, local Wells Fargo? What should you hire a consultant on for? How long should that term be? I think a really strong financial foundation is important. And I think something that we did really well is that my business partner and I before we deep dove into the company, we took a second to think about reality. Um, and, well, actually, let me rephrase that. I think we took a second to think about the big picture. And when I say that, I mean, we sat down so that we could brainstorm and anticipate potential obstacles before they happen and prepare a strategy for executing around and through those obstacles. 
Um, and I think that if entrepreneurs can do that without just being deterred from entrepreneurship altogether, um, that I think that they're really positioning themselves at an advantage and giving themselves a head start at, at successfully laying a strong foundation for their company. So for example, one of the major factors in agency life um, that leads to closures is the inability to generate revenue and having high overhead, hiring people way too quickly. Um, yet when some people start agencies, they have like a huge launch party so that they can get press, they hire on help immediately, um, which all makes sense. But my partner and I opted to kind of start our company differently. We focused for a full year on securing clients and contracts. So in 2017, our goal was to secure clients and secure contracts. Um, and I think our willingness to keep our overhead low and focus on revenue generation instead of like a big launch party or hiring talent, um, we gave ourselves the ability to um, really set our, ourselves up for a successful year. And we closed 2017 actually having turned a profit, uh, which is not the case for most first-year businesses. Well, uh, yes, I, that's exciting. Congratulations. And I know that as a business owner myself, um, me and my co-founder, we have been in business for three years and we're just now starting to see a profit. So yeah, it, it's so stressful. It is it, just incredibly stressful. It, it really is. It's hard to do. Um, the other thing that I was going to ask you about is, you know, some of us, they might be thinking, okay, I've made some mistakes along the way and I don't know how to kind of bounce back from that. Do you ever remember mm -hmm. a time where you've made a mistake and you wanted to just quit maybe the task at hand? How did you find your resiliency and bounce back from that? I mean, I think that happened all the time at the White House. Not so much <laughs> wanting to quit the task, but it was a high stress environment. Um, and I think, you know, working somewhere that fast paced and that high stress for seven and a half and for many of my colleagues eight years there's a burnout um and there are a, a lot of mistakes you know one thing that i really admire about president obama and mrs obama is that they truly believe that young people can run the world and so they for lack of a better term kind of walk the walk and talk the talk um, and did that at the White House by hiring a lot of fairly young um, employees and staffers for their team. And in doing that, they gave us a lot of opportunities to be exposed to places and spaces that people would never even know existed. But there was a risk in that in that they gave us a lot of room to fail and fail really big. So there was also this unsurmountable pressure of, being young at the White House for the first black president, not wanting to be a reason that they didn't look good or something like that. But that said, I failed in, you know, in the beginning and even towards the end, I failed often, way more than I would like to. And failure could have been anything from, you know, a, a lot of my failure was against my own timeline and in my head. I used to for whatever reason, play this game in my head, like, because I wanted to over-communicate, right? Because I wanted to over-communicate, I wanted to get tasks done before um, she would ask me about it or communicate back to her or my colleagues about finishing a task or giving them a progress update before they asked me about it. 
um, which added pressure. But I think in terms of, I think one thing, one of the benefits of being under Mrs. Obama at such a young age for so long is that I spent a lot of my 20s with she and her close girlfriends. So while all my other friends were like at the club, I was, you know, privy <laughs> enough to sit at dinner tables with them and listen to these women talk about like their journeys and the challenges they were facing, um, which sometimes, you know, made me long to be with my friends for the club. Like I'm in my 20s. I don't want to talk about this on a Friday night. But in hindsight, was incredibly, incredibly valuable because one of the things that I was able to talk to them a lot about was the notion of doubt and specifically the anxiety that comes with not wanting to make a mistake in the workplace and the deeply self-deprecating ways that we as women of color process our mistakes internally. Um, and in listening and talking with them, I learned that the work, if you will, both professionally and personally, is not to work towards a life where you don't have doubt or where you don't struggle with like bouncing back but from your mistakes, but instead to really train yourself to not listen to your doubt. I felt like I was at church, you know, you were you were preaching that good gospel and I just waved <laughs> the church fan in the background. Amen. Amen. <laughs> yes to all of that. And it's all about growth, right? Owning our growth. Yeah. I think that is so important. And, you know, it leads me to my last question before we get into our bonus questions, and that is professional development. And that requires each of us to invest in ourselves. Why is growth important at every stage of our career? Well, I think growth is important at every step of our career because if we're not growing, our value to and in an organization is withering. And I think in 2019, particularly, we are living in a world that just moves incredibly quickly um, and a world in which innovation is a major differentiator in a company or organization success. So every single day, there's new technology that is emerging, culture is shifting, the realm of possibilities in every single industry is expanding. And if you're not immersing yourself in professional development opportunities, both inside and outside of your workplace, your relevance in any position or organization will diminish. I love that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> growth is so important, and I wish everyone tons and tons of growth in 2019. Kristen, yeah. it's been so nice having you on the podcast. Before we jump into our bonus questions, how can people connect with you or follow you or support you? What's the best way? Um, the best way is to check out our website for my agency. It's insideprojects.co, not com, but .co. And you can follow me on Instagram at, at begoodbefly. Nice. And I'll make sure that I put that in the show notes so that people can find you easily. And I am a lover of grits and rap lyrics. And I have to ask, what is your favorite rap lyric and why? Okay. To be fair, every Jay-Z lyric is my favorite rap lyric, and anybody who knows me or has stood next to me at one of his concerts would likely agree. But I think my favorite lyric of his is from um, Public Service Announcement. It's the, um, unlike Che Guevara with bling on, I'm complex, I never claim to have wings on, I get my by any means on whenever there's a drought, get your umbrellas out, because that's when I brainstorm. 
That's my favorite, even though I ran out of breath. That's why Jay-Z is the rapper and not me. But um, every time I hear this lyric, it just resonates with me. I don't know. I feel like he knows I exist in the world and he thought of me when he made um, that birth. I work hard with zero shortcuts and my mind is constantly strategizing, brainstorming, thinking critically about the world around me. I've always been like that. And so every time I hear this verse, I just feel more understood in the world, honestly. You know, I knew that we had a connection somewhere. I don't know if you've listened to past episodes, but I'm a huge, huge, huge Jay fan. You and are? I by by his lyrics. So whenever oh. somebody spits it, I like just want to scream. Uh, and that is one of my favorite, favorite lines. So, Sorry uh, if I didn't do it service running out of breath, but um, <laughs> I, know, I knew we were soul sisters. <laughs> yes, I love that. And I have to also ask you, you know, the podcast is called Secure the Seat. Yeah. What does that mean to you? Um, to me, Secure the Seat means, well, particularly for women of color, it means to know that you belong in the room at the table and with that at your foundation, acting accordingly. So contributing eagerly to the work that's being done around you, speaking up and expressing your talent and capabilities graciously at every turn and at every moment. Spoken like a Sue, a true seat secure. I love it. <laughs> um, thank you so much for, for being my guest. Kristen dropped all the gems, and I know you're going to want to go back and re-listen or send that episode to a friend because there's so much, so much. It was like a sermon in that episode. So if you enjoyed it, make sure that you go to whatever platform you're able to leave a rating or review and do that. I have so many of you that'll send me messages and say, I'm loving season three. I'm loving the podcast. And then I'll say, have you left a a rating or review? They said, no. I'm like, please go leave a rating or review. That's how we amplify. That's how we help others secure their seat. So I implore you to go and leave um, a rating or review. I very much appreciate those and read those. And this is such a great episode. So you need to share it, share it, share it. Uh, And, you know, that J line at the end just made my heart scream. Uh, That is one that I rock with super hard. And then the other one that I totally live by is another J line. And it's, I rather die enormous than live dormant. And that's how I try to live my life every single day when I'm not tired, like I am in Austin right now. (laughs) And so the last thing that I want to leave you with too, is a couple of little things. But as I've been here at South by Southwest, there's been some really phenomenal speakers. And I had the, it's so funny that I'm actually uh, recording this episode because um, two of my favorites, I was able to hear speak this week, which is Valerie Jarrett. And one day I'm going to tell you a really fun story about Valerie Jarrett. We don't know each other, but it's a real fun, fun story that I think you would enjoy. Maybe when I do one of my heart to hearts, which will air next week, I might mention that to you. Um, But I, the also the other person is um, Stacey Abrams, and she was being interviewed. And she left this quote that I think you will really enjoy. And for all my quote heads, you really much will appreciate this. When you're focused on your enemies, you are ignoring your allies. When you're focused on your enemies, you're ignoring your allies. And sometimes we're like in this world, we're working, we're doing our thing. And sometimes we're so focused on the haters, right? We're so focused on them. Even sometimes in my work, I get so upset internally with certain people who've wronged me, or I feel like they've wronged me. 
And sometimes I, I, I start going down the rabbit hole on those situations. But what I really need to worry about is not who is not supporting me, but who is and focus on that. That's where we have to redirect our energy. And that's part of owning our growth, right? And so I just want to implore you to have a great week. Don't focus on the enemies. Focus on those who are supporting you. I'm here rooting for your success. And as you may or may not know, I run a career development company called The Memo with my co-founder, Lauren. And if you go to myweeklymemo.com, I would love for you to join our next event, which is online. Uh, We have a speaker series called After Six, and we do some of those in person and some online. And on March 21st, we're actually having, it's a free online event, um, but we choose topics that can help you move forward. And we're talking about toxic work environments. And as women of color, and even if you're not a woman of color, I'm sure many of you have worked in toxic environments. God knows I have. And uh, for those who may or may not know, I have a book coming out this year called The Memo, What Women of Color Need to Know to Secure Your Seat at the Table, which is available on pre-order right now. So make sure that you go support your girl. Uh, Tell your friends. Make sure you buy that. Pre-orders are very important. And I talk about a very toxic work environment that I was once in, and it was one of the hardest parts of my career to date. And oftentimes I'll just be like walking down the street or on my way to the subway or in the back of the lift. And I'll just say, thank you, Jesus. Because when I was going through that situation, I had no idea if I'd be able to make it out. You know, where do our broken hearts go after we've been in a situation like that? And that is the reason why I wrote the book. This is the reason why I created the memo. And it's the reason why I have secure the seat, because I never want you to feel like you have to go through those hard situations alone. And so uh, make sure that you go uh, and support that book. Really much appreciated. And again, just have a great week and keep securing your seat. I'll see you next Wednesday.